Somewhere in the darkness, there's a man they call the skipper, fast asleep, dreaming of gold. He wakes before the sun does, even though he'd rather stay in bed. Curses the cold in Minnesota. Why's it always so damn cold? He's got a job. You're listening to Stonecast, curling in the Twin Cities with Jordan Wickland and Christopher Lisney. So we're here with uh, Paula and Dick Arnold in Drew Arnold's basement bar. Is that correct? Yes, it is. This is his bar, and I'm here with Jordan Wickland. Hello. We're in Stillwater. It's a beautiful day. We're looking at a Canadian flag and uh, some other flag. Well, we're truly sitting in a uh, a basement built for curling. Like Chris said, we got Scotland and the uh, Canadian flags. We've got a little curling tabletop game. We got a bar. We've got uh, curling rocks holding ice rocks and shot glasses. And we've got curling pins all around. It's, it's and the scotch is flowing. The scotch is flowing. That's um. So normally Jordan and I banter a little bit before the uh before the interview so i just want to cover a couple things that have happened since the last time we've done a, a podcast so our last podcast was from the scots tour mm-hmm. and uh, since then uh the winter carnival has happened the winter carnival was a great time i was vice chair nice are you going to be the chairman next time i think that's the goal i'm not certain i want to take on that responsibility quite yet but uh i, I imagine i'll probably end up doing it what are the uh, responsibilities of the vice chair just make sure things run well, run smoothly. You, I mean, you two have probably chaired some tournaments in your time. Yes, we It's have. a lot of work. It's a lot more work, I think, than anybody knows. Absolutely. Well, you guys founded the Winter Carnival Spiel, we, right? We did, and uh, I was going to say that one of the reasons that uh, we got involved with the Winter Carnival, it's not exactly the way they handle it today. Back in the days that we were chairman, there was only two... St. Paul rinks allowed in the spiel. Everybody else was out of town. And everybody here helped uh, entertain all these guests from out of town. So there were a lot of out-of-town teams that would come? Well, we had met many teams when we had gone around different places on bond spiels. So we had a kind of a list that we could call on. So we sent you know, invitations to friends we had met in different places because the Winter Carnival seemed to have some kind of a cachet that they uh, thought would be fun. We had uh, many acceptances, and we got a really good response. I think we had a full 32-rink bond spiel the first time we ran it. And uh, I'm trying to think. We had uh, house uh, brunches, and we had a lovely uh, banquet in the basement or what we used to call the casino of the St. Paul Hotel, which used to have a kind of a ballroom in the lower level. And uh, what did we do on Sunday? I don't know. We had lots of entertainment for the visitors. Did they, did they, back then, did they have the Vulcans? We had Vulcans. Uh, We also, 
We also had, uh, we had the king and queen both showed up at the, at the spiel. Well, one of the reasons uh, we decided to have the bond spiel at the Winter Carnival, Dick was the button chairman for the Winter Carnival itself. And so he was very familiar with the goings-on of the organization, and this kind of prompted us to think it would be a good time to have a bond spiel. What is a button chair? Well, you know, the buttons that you buy for the Winter Carnival? I'm not a St. Paul person. I'm from oh. Minneapolis and northern Minnesota, so I'm, I'm starting to turn into a St. Paul guy by spending so much time at the curling club. I have to pay part of my taxes in St. Paul. Well, part of Part of the deal was to sell these buttons as part of their uh, funding fundraiser. The city of St. Paul never uh, financed the uh, Winter Carnival. It was all done by volunteers or private donations. Volunteers. When we did that, uh, the Scots tour, we um, had. A dinner at this Dove Mansion, which is right next to the James J. Hill house. Mm-hmm. And apparently, James J. Hill's kid, that was his mansion, and Louis. he was really uh, a big deal as far as the Winter Carnival. So they had a lot of Winter Carnival uh, historic stuff, which was kind of cool. Yeah, no, I've got a full, I've got the, um, if anyone can hear the, the flipping pages, I've got the um, history book in front of me. There's a great picture of uh, like King Boreas from 1952, 53. Mm-hmm. And I know I flagged it. I should have labeled my flags, but well. Stonecast is supported by our friends at the Once Upon a Crime Mystery Bookstore, 604 West 26th Street in Minneapolis. Not only do they have a fantastic collection of mysteries, thrillers, and crime novels, they host some of the best author events in the area. Check them out on the web at www.onceuponacrimebooks.com. That's www.onceuponacrimebooks.com. Other than that, we haven't really had a lot of uh, had a lot of people follow us, but not a huge amount of interaction, I don't think. So. No, no, we got Colin Simpson, Hollywood Curly, and a few other followers on Twitter, so... Shout out to everybody that's been following us through our. We uh, we took quite a hiatus between the holidays and my daughter's birth. We haven't we haven't really been in the interview game lately, but we're getting we're firing up again. So all right, so intro section over. Well, before you say that, I I think you ought to get a, some kind of an idea of when the women started in St. Paul. Well, that's a great that's a great topic. Well, I actually have a paragraph open right now. I can read from the history book. The winds of change were sweeping the St. Paul Curling Club shortly after World War II. Women curlers, the Bonnie Spielers, were coming into their own. The first ladies' event, in quotes, was held as, as part of the International Bond Spiel in 1951. Soon women were regarded as more than a novelty at the St. Paul Curling Club. Were you a part of that event? Paul? I was a founder of the Bonnie Spielers. I originated the name. We had 16 original curlers. We had four rinks, and uh, some of the older gentlemen used to come and sit behind the glass and watch our games and chuckle and uh, give us pointers on how we were doing things wrong. Those of us who had husbands or fathers or cousins or whatever who were curlers got to play the, you know, skips and thirds. The newer people that had no knowledge of curling got to be the front ends, and uh, it just evolved from there, and each year we grew. So 51-52 was the first year. 
And uh, of course, they're still going. But we used to curl on Wednesday afternoons. It was a day league. And then they uh, started to have some night curlers. And those poor ladies could only curl on sheet seven. And sheet seven at that time was very irregular, and it had its idiosyncrasies. Unfortunately, if you were having a playdown and you had to curl a night curler, you had to curl on sheet seven. So they, of course, had the upper hand on those games. And that was one of the higher or low points of my career. I had an eight end scored against me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you very little has changed. Old men still like to sit behind the glass and watch the women and tell them what to do. Yeah, I don't know if they're actually critiquing their curling or not. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm yeah, not their sure about Intentions that. are unclear. That's just kind of insane to me, though. I just, I mean, it's just such a time changes so quickly. But to think that at some point someone actually had to make a decision, like, oh, I think we're going to have women curl. I think we'll let that happen. How did how did it happen? Like, was there? There were a few ladies that kind of instigated it. I would think Ellie Cafferty, Ginny Edgerton, uh, Betty Clausen. That's uh, Scott's grandmother. You probably have pictures of that. Lorraine Samandel. Yeah, they're all uh, they're all listed here. I just yeah, need to find yeah. the. But they flag. they kind of uh, started the the first episode of uh, you know and talked to the men and g- got us going. And then uh, it seems to me early in fifty uh, two, probably in the fall of fifty two, we had a meeting and organized, and that's when we really began to curl with the four rinks, the sixteen original curlers. I don't think there was too much resistance. There might have been some men that were more anti than others, probably because they didn't have any women that they would find that wanted to curl. No, and then we didn't really infringe on any of their territory because we were there on Wednesday afternoons. And uh, night women didn't begin, I don't think, until about 56 or thereabouts. So nobody really knew we were there if they, unless they came by in the afternoon. When you said you started... And you curled on Wednesday afternoons. Nobody else was curling? No, right. Did they still make you curl on 7 and 8? No, no, no. That was just at night. <laughs> that was just... They, no, their 8 was, eight was not even in existence. I mean, it was there, but nothing was happening on it. The only sheet that was over there was 7 that was uh, ready to be played on, so, so, such as it was. But we had to curl on the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6... But there were only, you know, uh, with four teams, you only had two sheets going. Right. I found a great paragraph from this book. It said, uh, until the Bonnie Spielers took to the ice, the best coverage women's curling received was the occasional patronizing newspaper article in which a woman reporter tried the sport and wrote an ill-informed firsthand account of her experience. Jokes about sweeping the kitchen floor, bobby pins, beauty parlors, and hair curlers grew tiresome for the women who did want to curl. Well, we appeared on the social pages, not on the sports pages. Yeah, it was interesting. I I, I read another part in the book where um, over time, the Bonnie Spielers became some of the club's best recruiters because they would recruit, uh, it said some of the men were expected to bring coworkers after work and the women were hope it was hoped that they would uh, recruit neighbors and and like family friends and it was interesting that the home work split you know the domesticity of the 50s is like right there dick and i really have brought in a, quite a few of our friends over the years to curl yeah no oh, absolutely dick what was your experience of when the when paula and the, the bonnie started curling 
Well, <clears throat> I think we all were enthusiastic, and it was shortly after that time that uh, suddenly the uh, mixed curling became a big, big event and a big way to go on different weekends and uh, and to participate, you know, away from our own club. Some of the curling in those days uh, had improved considerably, and a lot of the ladies had also uh, found a way of, uh, of handling curling on a better occasion than they had in the past. Paula, do you remember a woman named Nora Post-Smead? I certainly do. She has a great quote in here. She goes, It was a fun time for the newly liberated curling women. Uh, Nora recalls, In those days we partied. Before, after, and during curling, we danced upstairs all night long. That sounds pretty fun. Well, Nora Post became Nora Smead, and Jim and Nora Smead, and Dick and I went to our first out-of-town bond spiel in La Crosse, Wisconsin. I suppose, I can't tell you, but it was obviously in the early 50s somewhere, not too long after we were all curling, but yes. And she's, uh, what is it, Dave Smead? Do you know Dave Smead? I don't believe so. Okay, well, he's a curler, and that's Nora Post-Mead. I was looking on old newspapers, not that old, but like 60s, 70s, 80s, and uh, you guys are are uh, in the newspaper quite a bit uh, talking about, some of them were you know, going to mixed bond spiels in Wisconsin. Uh, I have an article from like 1967 when you got second place in some mixed, mixed bond spiel in Portage Bay or... Something like that, and it's just, it's interesting seeing that they had articles like in the newspaper about social curling events. Nowadays, you know, the only kind of I mean, there's there's a lot of coverage about curling, about popularity of the sport, but it seems like everybody's focused on like the nationals and the Olympics and all that, and it's not like they're not focusing on the local cool stuff that's happening. Well, over the years, we went to a number of different. Uh, Mixed pond spills. We started out over in Wisconsin, and we won the spiel in Madison in '66 or '67, I think it was. Then we started going out to. We had friends that wanted to curl with us, and they would take a day, a week off, and I'd take a week off, and we go to New York or Massachusetts and curl, have maybe a week of curling to, uh, at the beginning and at the end of the spiel. And uh, we got to meet an awful lot of people that way. Uh, it was helpful when we tried to have our own spiels that we could invite some of these people. One of our friends in Massachusetts suddenly decided to have their 50th wedding anniversary and they decided it was going to be in Italy and they invited us to go with them. That sounds horrible. And we, <laughs> it, we, it ended up being a very wonderful uh, experience for them. The uh, Northern Italy uh, curling ice, I've heard, is very nice. Yeah, right. They've got good Yeah, a little trouble getting in the glass. So. <laughs> what, uh, what clubs in like New York and Massachusetts did you curl at? Have you been to Ardsley? Yes, we have. We curled we, at we Ardsley. We won Ardsley. No, we did not win Ardsley. We won St. Andrews. Oh, oh St. Pardon. Andrews. Okay. But we did curl in Ardsley, and we curled in uh, Broomstones in Massachusetts. We curled at Brayburn, we, and some of those clubs are no longer in existence. The nice thing about it, when you curled in those places, they had so many 
clubs that were close that you met people from other clubs, even though you were curling in, say, St. Andrews. You were meeting Ardsley people and maybe somebody from uh, what's uh, New Jersey, I think. They, some people from New Jersey used to come. And, like Plainsville? Uh, yep, Plainfield. Plainfield, yeah. Yeah. I curled there last year, and I, I noticed that a lot of people just like traveled from, like, oh, they're in you know Pennsylvania or whatever, and they just drive down for the, which now that we have five clubs, I guess it's kind of like that here, right? Which is the delightful thing about having more than one club is because you can do some of those kind of, uh, you know, go and curl in different clubs without having to leave town. Although leaving town is fun. Oh well, it is, but you know, some people can't leave town, so it gives them that option. Yeah, sometimes it's easier to have an in-town bond spiel because you can navigate the family, kid requirements. You're like, well, I'll be okay as long. And then you, you play the whole weekend. You're like, I don't think we're going to make it till Sunday. And then you make it till Sunday. You're like, oh, you know what? I made it to Sunday. I don't know. That's exactly I gotta do what it. happened to us last week. And then we won on Sunday morning. So we did another match. Oh, no. That's I know. terrible. I had to tell Rachel, I think I need to stay for another few hours. Yeah. So, Dick, I don't quite have the whole family genealogy down, but are you Kerr Dunlop's son-in-law or are you Stuart's son-in-law i'm Stuart's son-in-law okay okay because kerr seemed like a pretty important fella as oh, far as saint paul curling and sports is concerned yeah i have this great um it looks like he passed in 1939 and uh, a, a sports writer named joe Corey wrote that his passing is an irreplaceable loss to the city of saint paul particularly to the lovers of good clean sports of which dunlop was the most loyal and he has quite a photo published uh, with his obituary. He's a looks like a dapper man uh, with kind of Harry Potter ish glasses and a corn cob pipe. Oh, I don't think it was a corn cob. No, no, it might have been something. A Mershaw. Okay, I'm sure he never smoked a, a corn cob. Sure, but he had a pipe collection. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah. he used to sit in his chair and do crossword puzzles and smoke his pipes and. Uh, it was when when we'd go over there to well this is before Dick's time because he died before you know we even knew each before other. we mm-hmm. even knew each other but he was a lovely lovely man and he was a kind of a, a physical culturist he had a summer home at Lake Elmo and he, they would go out there from probably the end of May until the early part of October and he swam twice a day in Lake Elmo morning and evening no matter weather, no matter cold or whatever. And uh, he played tennis, and he used to walk from his house on Milton and Goodrich to the curling club and back oh, when he curled. I used to live right near there. That's fantastic. Yeah, it said he was, uh, here are just some of the headlines um, from his page in the book. Kerr Dunlop, 79, curling ace, dies. St. Paulite boasted many honors in 60 years of play. St. Paul's number one fan, uh, he, it said he saw over 3,000 baseball games. He loved the St. Paul Saints. Nobody, yeah. nobody likes baseball. <laughs> he used to. Uh, I remember when the World Series would be broadcast on the radio. He had a. He would come from his office to, up to uh, our house. We lived in Cherokee Heights, and my mother would have him uh, give him some lunch, and he would sit by the radio and 
you know, make notes in his little notebook about what was going on sure. in the World Keeping, Series. Sure, uh, yeah, the baseball notation. Yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty amazing. It said, uh, Mr. Dunlop liked nothing better than a rousing Minneapolis-St. Paul series, but he never could excite himself over the Nicolette Park home run arguments. Uh, quote, they talked about Nicolette's short right field fence, he'd say, when the old downtown St. Paul pack at 12th and Robert Streets would make Nicolette look like the Atlantic Ocean for spaciousness. Anyway, uh, it, it was it was pretty cool, like, you know, not uh, knowing your family at all, really kind of seeing uh, uh, its contribution to the club uh, long before even you two were there. So uh, you know, what I think is interesting about, well, one thing about reading this book and these these families, like I'm newer to the club. Uh, I've been around for a couple of years and I meet all these people and you reading a book like this, you realize that a lot of people that I've interacted with have been here for 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years, their families have been here forever. I feel like such like a, uh, what do they call it when you're like a, like a infant, I'm a, I'm a curling infant in this club as far as the history of the club. Me too. A greenhorn. Greenhorn. That's a great word. Greenhorn. <laughs> That's why I'm Paula, here, Paula, you used a term, cultural, a physical, no, a cultural, physical didn't, culturalist. Didn't I say physical culturist? Yeah. What is that? Well, that's somebody that really appreciates physical exercise and almost it's almost a, not, I shouldn't say a, a compulsion. Obsession. Yeah. Yeah. Or obsession. But uh, he, he was very careful to do things. He was very slender and not a very tall person. And uh, always kept very active. So one of these people that, you know, probably would nowadays would have like 0.04% body fat <laughs> or something. And Oh, it's like me. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm just trying to think where we should begin. Uh, right in the middle, I would suggest. Right in the middle. Uh, you know, the, the club rooms, of course, don't we all gravitate to the club rooms? The club rooms have improved so that it's... Amazing, but it was kind of a honky tonky place back in the early days. There was a piano up there, and uh, people would, you know, kind of go and bang on the piano. And the person that ran the place, called John Hower, was just a kind of a real tartar. They didn't do much food, they mostly uh, poured drinks. And he had a Davenport up there to our couch. And Chesterfield. Go, yeah, and he'd. He'd go up. You'd go up there probably as we went up there after our curling at one o'clock. We'd go up and have coffee before we went home, and he would be sound asleep on the couch, you know, getting prepared to uh, meet the fellows that were coming. At uh, they used to, I think, just had two draws at six and eight or something like that at night. But anyway, that was kind of fun. And of course, the downstairs fireplace. I, we had a moose, moose head. What? Hanging over the fireplace, marvelous moose head, and then this huge, huge broom that probably had, uh, you know, the the bristles or the whatever we call it, about this big, and the handle was kind of mottled. It had kind of orange spots on it. I don't know where they got it, but that that moose was there for. A, I remember that when I was a kid coming up there, and and that was when Mike Ruggs' grandfather was the ma- manager, Walt Mahler. And uh, he was always very nice about, you know, letting us watch, but we certainly didn't uh, misbehave. Did the moose have a name? 
I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think we ever named that moose. I wonder why they got rid of the moose. I wonder if it rotted. Up at our I, cabin, we always lose I heads think that's part of it because it, you know, animals get into it. One, once the women started curling, you know, things started perking up as far as they cleaned things up. Uh, nice. And they got both sheets seven and eight were piped, and so we had seven or eight sheets of ice, but. Uh, Selby Avenue suddenly started going downhill, and most of the men's board didn't realize that uh, they had some real problems, but they didn't do anything about it. And so that's when some of us got together and we formed the Arden Hills Club. And Arden Hills is in the midst of of a uh, building campaign. They were building. Well, they were not in a campaign, but they they, they had all kinds of. Uh, uh, physical equipment and ready to go, and we talked them into putting in a wing for four sheets of curling ice, and they put that in, and uh, St. Paul took one look and decided they had to do something, and they sharpened things up, and so uh, a lot of people say, well, the Arden Hills Club ruined St. Paul. It, it was the opposite way around as far as I was concerned. We needed the help that they gave them to do some of the things that they now do. News to me. I'd... The um on on the in the Arden Hills, like I've always been a little confused about the difference between the Bonnie Lasses and is it the Cairn or Cairn? It's the Bonnie Spielers and the Cairn Lassies. Yeah. So the Cairn Lassies is from Arden Hills. Arden That's, Hills. Yes. Yes. And they're like two different kind of groups. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In order to uh, have separate votes in the United States Women's Curling Association. We have to maintain our independence. So when we came back to St. Paul, instead of, you know, reincorporating into the Bonnie Spielers, we kept our own name and the organization said it was all right, even though we were in the same club. And uh, I don't know why they were fussy, because in certain places like Broomstones, many different clubs curl there. But that's how we yeah, maintain our independence. So we have two different uh, uh, representatives from the Bonnie Spielers and the Karen Lassies at the United States Women's Curling Association meetings. So um, it's a big power play then. <laughs> well, I suppose you could say so. Yeah, <laughs> great. Do you guys have any, like Jordan and I have gotten to quite a bit of trouble at Bond Spiels and uh, things like that, and we're kind of newer curlers in the sense that we've only been curling five, 10 years, whatever. Um, you guys have must have gotten to some sort of trouble or have had some really bizarre somethings that have happened to you in your curling career that people would just be like, what? No way. Well, I can tell a few stories on Dick. He probably can't tell any on me. You know, I'm such a, You're such a, <laughs> a sterling character. Yeah. But uh, I do remember at the... Uh, Wausau Bonspiel, we were curling with Jim and Norma Jensen. We had gone to a house party prior to our game. It was a Saturday night, you know, and we probably were in the third event by this time. So we had to curl on Saturday night. So we did certainly didn't hold back on, I think they had punch bowls of Manhattans and martinis or something like that. But anyway, I do know that Dick Arnold certainly enjoyed himself. <laughs> and so... 
we're out, we're just, uh, you know, Norma's throwing lead rocks and she's doing a good job and Jim is doing a fine job at second and I'm hanging in there a third and then we've got Dickie and he says, I'm just going to throw a little guard. And he came up and went smashingly down the ice, hitting the backboards, you know. (laughs) He couldn't throw a guard to save his soul. He just had more energy than anybody on the ice. You know, I couldn't get, I, I stopped listening as soon as you said punch bowls of Manhattan <laughs> yeah, martinis. Yeah, martinis. That's hard to imagine. Yeah, Wausau, that, they, they really uh, cut it up. I, I've heard I was going to go this year, and uh, I had a family event that I couldn't go that got scheduled on the wrong date. So after I committed to not going, they changed my family event. Yeah. And then everybody was at Wausau, and I was at home, and I was like, I'd probably swear off the family event for life. If that was sort of very thing irritated. Occurred. Yeah, I was invited to Wausau by Dennis Abraham two years ago. I couldn't make it, uh, but maybe... Uh, well, it's all new. Yeah, it's a different oh, yeah, club from right? one, yeah. uh, one we were curled. Yeah, we're, talking, we're talking about the old times when they curled out in... Uh, oh, on the fairgrounds. Yeah, on the fairgrounds, right. Hmm. Well, Dick, you had said you took a, a little prop plane up to Canada for the Goodwill one year. Oh, yeah, tell that story, honey. That's kind of cute. Cute. Well, I, are you familiar with the Goodwill tour in St. Paul? Uh, very familiar. Oh, yeah. yeah, very familiar. Okay. My wife would like me to become less familiar. Well, I've been up a couple of times, and uh, one of the first times we went up, we took our rink up in a air in an airplane, and our third man was our skip, or maybe it was the second or third man anyway, was our pilot, and he, we did a. We had a good time and a good, uh, in, uh, a good trip. But then I also went up on the train when we were using the train instead of now apparently using the bus. And there were several people in St. Paul that were very strange characters. One was uh, Bill. Billy. Billy Gates. Bill Gates. The and, Bill Gates. And another was... Uh, Mike uh, Stewart. Not Mike. Mike Stewart. Mike Stewart. And we get to to Winnipeg, and we decide we needed a drink. And with that, Billy Gates gets a hold of somebody and orders a whole case of of whiskey and has it sent up to our room. I don't know who paid for it or how we ever got there, but that was just one of the incidents that we that we had on a very bad weekend up in Winnipeg. What made it bad? You had to finish that whiskey. You had to finish the whiskey. (laughs) Had to be sure we had to take it home, too. (laughs) When you were in Winnipeg, did you ever go to the ballet? No. You never went to the ballet in Winnipeg? Never went to the ballet. The Royal Winnipeg Ballet. When you were up on the plane, so I've gone up there and by bus. Okay. And um, it's fun. I love, like I said, I'm a big fan of Canada. Um, C-A-N-A-D-A. The the beer is pretty free-flowing on the bus on the way up. Right. On the plane, did you on the little plane? Did you guys have uh, beer? Or? No, no. We we got a call early in the day on Friday and said, if you want to go to Winnipeg, you better go now before we're having a storm problem. So uh, we hurried up out to Lake Elmo, loaded up, and flew in and uh, landed in Winnipeg and got to our hotel. And then we found out why there was always going to be a, a rink. Uh, that uh, plays on uh, t- uh, Tuesday of the week because most of these guys had girlfriends up there, and nobody knew that they were 
entertaining all the while they were up there. So that's a little deep history of the goodwill. Yeah, wow. Right. <laughs> that's really gonna. Uh, we're gonna bring that back. They yeah, sure. if our if our wives hear this, that we'll never be yeah, able we'll to go never up be there. Able to curl they the shall remain again. nameless. These yeah. folks. What are some of your favorite places to curl historically? I mean, either in the Midwest or, or anywhere, really. Well, we loved Stevens Point. We curled at yeah. Stevens Point for years and years. And there, you know, it was about always about the end of March, first part of April. And uh, they, they were so, they had such a kind of a unique hospitality. And it was just a wonderful place. How did it differ from other Wisconsin hospitality? My, my experience is Wisconsin is hospitable always. Well, uh, yes, and I I've think been to they are. But they used to, which of course we really didn't appreciate. They had a, they'd call it the Bloody Mary cart, and they'd come wheeling down the halls of the motel. At, you know, about seven o'clock on Saturday morning after you'd been to the banquet the night before, and were really wanted to, if you didn't have an early draw on to sleep in, didn't bother, and they knocked on your door, and you had to come out in your pajamas and have a Bloody Mary. And uh, they had, uh, I'm trying to remember, what, what was the name of that club where we went for the banquet? Uh, anyway, it was kind of a very funny place. And uh, it had outdoor plumbing. So when you went to the outdoor plumbing, you went on a red carpet walking out to the outdoor oh. plumbing. And then one night, the uh, sink malfunctioned. And uh, we were out trying to clean up some of the dishes. And uh, we had a bucket underneath the pipe because there, if you poured any water and it had to catch in the bucket. And Annie Altman came by and said, what do, what do you do with that bucket? We should empty it. And she came up and poured it down the drain. <laughs> one of the uh, articles I had said that I had researched some newspaper articles, and there was one from 1982 where you guys won. The Steve, it says the Stephen Points Curling Club hosted its annual mixed couples invitational. And it was um, Tuesday, April 6, 1982 was when this article was written. The first event was captured by the Dick Arnold rink of Arnold, Arden Hills, Minnesota, Members of the rank include Dick and Paula Arnold and Rube and Nancy Benton. Right. That's uh, Johnny Benton's mother. Yeah. Right. We've got just a couple minutes left. Do you guys have any jokes to share? Or or, or nicknames? What did you call each other on the ice? Pookie? Oh, Pookie? we do have nicknames. This came uh, about, was that in Wausau too? When That must have been the night that you were throwing him through the back end. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Sam found somebody and she said, boy, we really are curling poorly. And he said, we have done that. And then we all changed our names and it all worked out really well. So uh, Dick became Barney and uh, Norma became Sam and Jim became little Luke and I became mother. Oh, wow. (laughs) And so we went, (laughs) I think that the, the, uh, Trophy at St. Andrews, uh, when we won the St. Andrews Spiel, I think it says Barney Arnold. Really? Yeah, I think so. Do those names, is that, do you just come up with those on the ice and they don't mean anything? They're or? charming, I must say. They're charming. I have no idea. I don't, I think, I can't remember who did it, but all of a sudden there we were, those names. Well, that sounds like you've had a lot of fun curling. We have. We've had uh, met wonderful people and had and have wonderful memories and just it was just a lot of fun times. And I read that, um, at least as far as this book is concerned, you still throw from the hack. I do, and I'm really rotten. 
<laughs> I don't believe it. But anyway, I, I do not choose to be a, a sticker. So I'm going to be 90 years old in June. And I just decided maybe that I will hang up my broom while I'm still able to hang it up and uh, see what happens. Go out on top. Oh, mm -hmm. yes. Well, not really, but at least I can go out on my two feet, you know. I think that's a good note to wrap it I up. I think it is, too. Don't you think so? Thanks, guys, for, uh, for, for doing this interview. It was very entertaining. I enjoyed the banter. What a pleasure. Well, thank you very much for having us do this. I don't think we added much to the, yeah. uh, to the curling uh, memorabilia, but we were happy to be interviewed. Yeah. So thank well, you. Thank And also thank you for all you've done for uh, curling in the Twin Cities, in St. Paul yeah, in particular. Absolutely. I mean, the yeah. St. Paul Curling Club and I think, you know, the aggregate clubs owe uh, um, somewhat, maybe not a debt, but certainly a, a respect and a reverence for the establishment of the Bonnie Spielers and uh, some of the other tournaments that you're associated with. So thank, thank you, you and, and, and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Good we'll night. See you again soon. Fast asleep, dreaming of gold. 